0: Um, once in a while I podcast what I preach, so we'll see if today works out good enough to <laughs> put out there in public, but anyway, we'll see how it goes. This weekend, um, the bishops have asked us to focus on what they call the Day for Life, and the theme this year is Choose Life, and they're handing out these pamphlets and also these prayer cards. They're very simple uh, prayer cards all about the day for life. So choose life. Right throughout my life, I've been enticed or attracted by the A grade, if you will, or maybe the star on the wall. Remember in school, and the teacher would put a star up on the wall? You're a very good girl or a very good boy. When you got the star up on the wall... I always wanted to do well not just academically but you know even um, I'm sure even mum and dad could tell you even when I'm uh, washing the car it has to be done well if I'm celebrating mass it, I try to do it well I don't try and compare it with what other people do just you know I do my own thing and maybe in a way that's why I am back studying as Sister Pat was telling you earlier on I want to understand more to develop more, to be more human, more alive, and hopefully to grow in passion for the preaching of the gospel. In a way, I want to thrive, if you will, as a priest, because I'm sure as you know, many are maybe merely surviving at the moment. It's not a bad little starting point. Which one of us doesn't want to thrive? Or maybe to put it the other way around, would you like to be merely surviving? So survival is important, but once we are managing to actually survive, this other layer comes, the impulse to thrive in life. surviving and thriving. But a subtle lie can creep in there if we miss the sort of boat on it. And one version of thriving that rose to prominence right throughout the middle of the 20th century was the push to thrive that happened not just in Germany, but particularly in Germany under Hitler. The people were barely surviving. And Hitler convinced them That the root cause of all their problems, the reason why they were only surviving and not thriving, was because of the Jew, or the communist, or the homosexual, or the gypsy that was in their midst. We know now, at heavy price, that this is a really basic lie. But before it was discovered as a lie, the price that humanity paid, that particularly the Jewish people paid, was that six million people died. And the lie is subtle. The lie is, for you to thrive, somebody else, maybe even other people, must not survive. They must be wiped out that I may thrive. Another maybe version of that might be to say that for me to thrive, others must barely survive. Or, and it's creeping in into our mindset here in Ireland at the minute, another version of the lie is the subtle thinking that says all foreigners must leave because there isn't enough work for the Irish. For us to thrive, they must head off back to where they came from. And that's a subtle lie. So surviving and thriving. Another way maybe is living life to the full. The church's understanding of this, maybe what the church teaches us, stands the earlier lie on its head. The church teaches us that in order to thrive, we must first survive. (coughs) So to be fully alive, we must first live. And the we here is not limited to me, or you, or us, but rather the we that is all of humanity, in all its diversity, in all of the differences and the common things that there are between us. The statement is, I cannot really thrive unless all of humanity is at least surviving and that they are on the way to thriving. So we can kind of apply this surviving and thriving (coughs) model to many of the difficulties that are raised in our world today. It's like a rule of thumb for some of those difficult moral questions that we are facing such as put it in very general terms for our society to thrive like other societies (coughs) seem to thrive do we not need to bring in the same laws that they have or and I only ever preach on it on this particular day To be more exact, because other countries have legislated for abortion, for the deliberate killing of the unborn, do we not need to do the same? Isn't that what progress is? To ask it another different way, so for us to thrive as a country must not some die? It's the same idea I proposed earlier. For me to thrive, for us to thrive, must some not die. And of course, the answer for us, certainly as Catholics and as Christians, is that nobody need die in order for us to thrive. In fact, our thriving is bound up with the thriving of others. It is together that we thrive. Today's gospel is one of those passages in the gospel that can kind of... You ever, in a, in a, going back to that blackboard in the classroom thing, you ever remember somebody bringing their nails down the blackboard and you just... its Sort of, uh, well, well for me anyway, it goes right down my spine. It, it grates badly on our contemporary ears. And I think it's because in a way we, we're maybe, and maybe this is us as Catholics, maybe more than our friends and brothers and sisters in the other churches, we're not really familiar enough with the gospel. We don't know how it's written and we... We forget that it it maybe wasn't made to be just written or read the way we happen to read it, either in our Bible or um, in the way we hear it at Mass. Rather, the Gospel, especially this morning's one, is like a dramatic play. So I want you nearly to reconstitute that Gospel story. I don't expect you to remember it, by the way. I'm not going to ask any questions, but I'm going to kind of give you that Gospel again and it's like a three act play this morning. The first act, the scene is set and it's outside. So you came in through the courtyard here. So, so we can kind of imagine the courtyard out here on a lovely day like today, and people gather from all kinds of different places, and they start to shoot the breeze. You know, I'm not sure, like, you know, what's this divorce crack? You know, you seem to be very serious about this you know like come on lay off like like the guy that came before you the guy that we really you know the whole thing is built on like well like he said to us that we could have a divorce sure what's the problem and jesus sort of retorts to them he says well you were so unteachable you know you really didn't have a clue and you refused to be taught so he kind of made this allowance for you if you will but then the second act and it's prefaced by four words. The second act happens back in the house. Think of that. You know, like when you go home at night, like if I arrive down, how are you doing? <laughs> hey, well, we met today there in the courtyard, you know, can I come in? You know, I mean, you might be delighted to see me, and hopefully you would be delighted to see me, but maybe you mightn't be. You might be saying, no, I need to go to bed, like, you know, sod off, will you? You know? So the second act is back in the house, and that's the line, I have the the gospel here for you, it says, back in the house, the disciples, note that, questioned him again about this. So they've gone inside with him, these are the important people, they've gathered in the house with him, with Jesus. And they're kind of going, like, we know we couldn't say that out in the courtyard. We couldn't question you in front of the Pharisees. Like, that would let that side down. But, you know, like, what is the deal? And he, Jesus, makes it in no uncertain terms. He makes it very clear. More even than what I was telling them in the courtyard. The man who divorces his wife and marries another is guilty of adultery against her. So when we're in the house... Kind of a metaphor here for the church, if you will. Those tough lines in the middle, they're top secret, if you like, or they're for your eyes only, but we kind of forget, you know, we're not always in the house. We don't always experience ourselves as being in the church, and even at times we kind of feel, you know, I don't really want anything to do with all that. So that's normal and good because it's only when we recognize that the disciples questioned him. Remember that. The disciples questioned Jesus on this. So they were struggling with that A-grade, star-grade Christianity. It's like competing in the Olympics of life. It isn't easy. So asking questions is good. Asking questions of the house that we're in, the church, is good because it means that we are in the same company as the disciples. So let's turn again then to this day for life and why it is that the church presents us with some very, what appear to us all of us who most of the time are sitting outside the house, they appear as as an in-house, very difficult set of commands, if you will. And this, this contemporary Catholic tradition of love, care, and respect for human life, it begins really decisively with Pope Paul VI's encyclical in 1968, the famous one, Humanae Vitae. And here, Pope Paul carefully reaffirmed the Church's respect for the mystery of life. That's a good one. Stay with that one. The mystery of life, the mystery of relationship, especially between the married relationship between man and wife, and their role in creation in procreation. And then building on that tradition of Humanae Vitae, the Church under Pope John Paul II published another document in 1987 called Donum Vitae. That dealt with the Church's position on fertility treatments, for example, like IVF. And then in 1995, Pope John Paul II wrote an encyclical called Evangelium vitae the gospel of life and that deals with murder abortion and euthanasia but i want you to hear those three documents names again humane vitae donum vitae evangelium vitae and the common word that runs through them all is this word vitae or in english we have the word vital to be fully alive, to be vital. So vita is the Latin word for life. So these documents all deal with life issues. And they're dealing with life issues from an in-house perspective. This is A-grade Christianity, and it's tough going. So the church's tradition, and it's put in this pamphlet, I don't know if they're A few of them around, but there's a couple of them here, and you're welcome to them if you want. They're available on the internet, of course. The church's tradition that from the moment of conception until the moment of natural death, every human life is beautiful, every human life is precious, and every human life is sacred. We need to mull that over, we need to chew the cud, if you like. Of that line. So I want to address it to you personally today, that from the moment of your conception until the moment of your natural death, you are beautiful, you are precious, and you are sacred. So today, Bishops ask us to choose life, and in their asking, they don't have the high moral ground of yesteryear, so it is a choice, it is for us, to choose life.